Hey guys, uh, really excited to worship uh, with you this, this morning and uh, really excited. Uh, just during this lockdown period, I've just realized um, about, about worship, how important worship is. And uh, just one morning I felt uh, God just say to me, I want you to worship your way out of worry. And uh, so I just felt like that is the, um, just for this morning, um, to encourage you. I know it's, it's, it's weird having, not being in a corporate sense, but yet we, have, we, live, we are one in spirit. And whenever we worship together, um, it's like we're singing uh, by each other. It's like God is an amazing thing. And uh, so I encourage you to, to stand up, to worship, like we normally do, to have some form of normality. Worship, push into God, and uh, that you worship your way out of worry, worship your way out of anxiety, and worship uh, your way into His throne room um, where there's perfect peace. i 
your eyes The world awakens in the light of the day I look up to the sky and say
Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Your Worship. Really miss the times together that we, we meet in person, but God is, God is here and God moves wherever we are. And what an awesome time that we can share, even though we are, are apart. I want to introduce you to Grant Crawford, uh, all the way down from Peter Marisburg. And you know, Grant is a gift to the body. He serves on the New Covenant Ministries team um, of Tyrone and Nicole Daniels. And yeah, he's prepared a word for us in the region. And um, so yeah, let's just open up our hearts and, and receive. And you know, as we know, the translocal gift is there to, to build us to a place of unity, to um, build us into, uh, build our faith and to mature us in Jesus Christ. So uh, go for a grant and uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, where you say in your word, if we receive a prophet, Lord, in your name, we get a prophet's reward. And Lord, we pray that as Grants brings the word today, Lord, that it would not just be knowledge that we receive, but Lord, that there would be an impartation in our lives, Father, that we would be more um, and look more like Christ in, in each and every way. Um, so Father, we ask, Lord, Lord, that you would bless this time and, and speak to us as you always do in Jesus' name. Amen. I did a couple of days ago as I was, before I went to bed, I was praying and uh, thinking about you guys. And, and then in the early hours of the morning, uh, I woke up in the middle of a dream. Now, now, I'm not a big nighttime dreamer. Love to dream during the day, but not a nighttime dreamer normally. And so when I do remember a dream, it is it's something that catches my attention. I was in a trench. It was pouring with rain. There was water at my feet, and I was holding two electrical cables. And I remember waking up thinking, this is not good. This is not good. This is, this is life and death. And as I, I, I set myself up in my bed, I, I realized I had a very stiff back. I'd been working in the garden the day before, and I, I began to say, Lord, why have you woken me up? Why have you woken me up in this time of night? And why have I got a sore back like this? And I still had you guys on my heart. And, and so I, I feel God pressed something on me for you. And uh, I'm not saying it's a matter of life and death, but, but it is a concerning life. And, and, and I think it's an important message. It's something that sort of like God wants to shock us into understanding. And... Um, uh, basically, it's, con it's concerning my, my back. Uh, I've been married 28 years, and um, uh, so I have to go a long way back to remember when my wife was pregnant. Uh, and one thing was common in all three of her pregnancies. She complained of having a sore back as she you know, carried my kids around uh, with her, her stomach growing. Her back took strain. And... Uh, 
I, I believe that the church in Port Elizabeth right now is, is carrying, like spiritually carrying God's in, in, intended birthing, His, his uh, multitudes of people that He's wanting to bring to life in the kingdom. I, I am aware that the whole world is going through discomfort, but particularly the discomfort there among the churches that are hearing this right now. It's almost like God saying, just like a woman, uh, strains in the carrying of a child that's going to be born. Uh, God's, God's putting that strain on you, and He wants you to pray, and He wants you to, 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 to labor with Him until the birthing takes place. I'm prophesying this over you. I'm speaking this over you. It's God's intent that hundreds of people come to faith in the months and the years that lie ahead. This pandemic that is striking the world is shaking everything. It's like shaking people's gods. It's shaking their fortresses. And the gospel is, is, is crashing into homes. It's going over big high walls and into gated communities that would never have reached before. And, and God's intent is that you witness the birthing that he's going to take place. I, I trust that's encouraging to you. I trust that you, you intercede along those lines. You pray along those lines. Uh, it's God's heart to bless you and to fill your churches with brand new believers. What I'm uh, going to speak to you about is something of that stretching and that straining that, is, that, that everyone's feeling right now. I'm busy in a series through the book of Colossians. And, and I'd like to take you to the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, where Paul uh, is addressing... Uh, an issue that, that is causing much strain, much stress uh, within the life of that local church. These days, people are freaking out about two main things. One is the virus, and the other is the economy. The virus seems to be being handled quite well with masks and sterilizing and all sorts of regulations that we are adhering to. But the economy, well... Well, that one's a little more frustrating because, you know, you really can't change too much of it as an individual, can you? And it's so connected. So, so when we hear things like our exchange rate with a dollar hits a record in April of 19.35, we realize we can't do anything about that, but that's got serious implications for the price of goods, etc. Then our GDP will shrink by 6.4% before the end of the year. That has implications for us. The fact that the country is now in junk status, some of you might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with me? No, it's got a lot to do with us because investment pulls out, less investment comes in, that has implications. I was reading an article the other day by Herman Mashaba, the ex-mayor of, of Joburg, who, who said that he expects between three and seven million jobs to be lost over the next little while uh, because of this corona epidemic. Now, now, that has social and political ramifications for us. And so, so these, these issues are quite alarming. And people are, you know, rightly looking at it and saying, look, this has a personal impact on me. In fact, you might even be tempted to say, well, let me go to another country then where the currency is stronger, maybe like the UK. Or wherever you go, don't go there. I believe that they are in the biggest slump that that economy has had in 300 years. What about America? Well, I read a headline two days ago 
that said this, Donald's beautiful economy, which he perfected in the last three years, has been dismantled in six weeks. And so the whole world actually is in an economic crisis. And, and people uh, are freaking out about that. And so what we're doing today is as we proceed through our book of Colossians, we get to the point where Paul talks about the work environment, about the economy. And isn't it fantastic that when we study books of the Bible like that, God speaks very practically into the areas that we're facing. So Colossians is divided clearly into two sections. The first two chapters look at theology. Who is Jesus? Christ in me, the victory I have in him, etc. The last two chapters deal with very practical outworking of that revelation of who Jesus is. So Christ in the family, Christ in my friendships, and today it's Christ in the workplace. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up from verse 22. Now this is what it says in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. A few verses down in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, provide for your servants what is right. So now what, what is this? Slaves, masters, surely the Bible isn't condoning slavery. And, and so what we've got to do is, is have a look at, at the context before we have a look at what God's going to say, because that rightly is a big concern. What does the Bible say about slavery? Well, categorically, God himself and his word is opposed to slavery. The reason Jesus came was to set you free. And so there are two massive mountain peaks in theology that deal with this. First is in Genesis 1.26. We are being created in the image of God and we've been created free. All men have been created free in the image of God, who is essentially the embodiment of freedom. And then the second mountain peak is the gospel. The reason Jesus came was to set people free, whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, he describes a, a picture in heaven of every tribe, language, nation, of people liberated and free, worshiping God. That's his goal. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about the cross breaking down the dividing wall of hostilities that keep people apart. The gender walls, the uh, racial walls, the age walls, these have been destroyed by the cross because God's intent is that we live free. He even explicitly says so. So for example, the book of Philemon. Uh, Philemon uh, was a slave owner and a member of the church in those days. And uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave who had got saved. So Paul's writing to Philemon and he says to Philemon, receive him now, not as a slave, but receive him as a brother. In fact, he goes beyond that. He says, receive him as you would receive me, like an apostle. So, so some of you might be saying, well, then why didn't Jesus overtly rage against slavery? if it was evident in those days. Why didn't he 
like, like come out and lead a petition, a political uh, envoy against the institution of slavery because it's, it's horrific. I mean, it's, it's still done some parts of the world today, trafficking of people, and it's probably one of the most horrific crimes against humanity. Well, when Jesus lived, it was part of the day. It was part of the norm. In the Roman Empire, uh, secular historians will tell you, in Italy, which was the, the center of, of Roman rule, in Italy, there were three million slaves. That's 30 to 40% of the population. That's one in three people is a slave or a bond servant of one form or another. And so Jesus came into that environment where that was part of the working environment. And so what he didn't do is rage against the symptoms. He went to the heart of the matter. You see, it's sin that causes people to go on power trips like this and enslave other people. And Jesus came in to deal with the sin and to dismantle it. In fact, when Jesus gets hold of a person, it totally transformed them. And, and then you get the heart of God to see people free. There was a man called William, William Wilberforce, who lived in the early 1800s in the United Kingdom. He was a politician. And, and secular historians will tell you that he got radically born again. William Wilberforce had an encounter with God and secular history documents that. And the result of his encounter with God is that he led the movement for the emancipation of slaves, the changing of the laws in the United Kingdom and in the whole uh, British Empire. Uh, 1833, slavery was repealed because God got hold of a man. Uh, Paul in Corinthians makes it very clear when he says, 1 Corinthians 7, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Well, like one in three is a slave. So, you know, you're not going to change the whole economy. Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become a slave to human beings. That's very clear. The Bible is against slavery. It's for freedom. It's for liberty. And so just because the Bible says there was a slave doesn't mean God likes slavery. And in this particular instance, uh, when Paul says to the Colossians, slaves, the Greek word there, doulos, uh, is more accurately translated, actually, as bondservant. So a bondservant was a type of slavery. What would happen if you got into hard economic times in those days is that you'd go to a wealthy person, a benefactor, and say to them, listen, I will be your bondservant. In other words, you don't have to pay me. Just look after me, look after my kids, look after my family, and we are your property until we've paid off that debt. That was a bondservant. And so Paul is saying to servants, slaves, bondservants, Listen, this is how you ought to behave. And so can I ask that we, we see the work environment for what it is, one in three, bond servants, slaves, that sort of environment. And, and given that environment, this is what Paul has to say. So in verse 22, it says slaves or employees, 
Obey your earthly masters in everything you do and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. So he zeroes in in the work environment to the employee to start with. And what he does here is he unveils three possible bad practices that Christian workers could embark in. When I was at school, I saw all three of these types of employees being formed, being developed in my classroom. The first category is those who don't want to work. They rebel against work. So the teacher says, do this work, and you can see in their face, they try and make me. It's like the rebel. Now, Paul is saying, you want to be a worker. You want to be a team player. You want to be someone who can be relied upon. You, you want to be someone who puts their back into it. And then secondly, he says, don't only do it when their eye is on you. I can remember the guys who, who used to mess around in class, but as they heard the teacher's footsteps coming on the corridor, shh, the teacher's coming, teacher's coming. I remember even in my work environment, when I'd graduated, I, I went into the corporate world and we had these open plan offices and our top manager sat up somewhere on the fourth floor and uh, there would be a lot of hubbub going on, but you could see him coming over the office partitions. And I can remember when that door creaked open and the boss walked in, suddenly all the heads were down. Why? There are a whole bunch of employees who are only working when his eye is on you. And then the last one talks about those who, who like, we used to use the word, suck up to the teacher, running up, carrying her, her basket, saying, do you know all the stuff that I did, but really is only working to curry favor for the boss. He, he's unpicking these and saying, we don't want to be like that as Christian employees. Some of you might be saying, well, Grant, my boss doesn't deserve me to work for him. He creates such a lousy work environment that, that I'm not even, uh, I, I, I actually, I, I, dis, I disagree with you. Uh, it, he's not worth working for. But verse 23 explains why we do work in a different way to other people. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And, and so we can conclude from that that, you know, the, the work ethic of a Christian should be unparalleled. The levels of excellence that we strive for should be fitting for a king. But there are another two conclusions that we can draw from that statement that we're working for the Lord. One regards the state of our heart and the other, our act of obedience. The first, the state of our heart. Uh, God's requirement for his workforce is that they come with grateful hearts. Uh, grateful because he's provided us with the ability to work, the acumen to work, and he's given us our work deployments. Some of you might be saying, well, Grant, I haven't got a work deployment, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really fit enough right now to work. God still requires us to come to the king of the universe himself with grateful hearts, thanking him for the oxygen we breathed and the, the life that we live, and, and the, with the full knowledge that he, he's not concerned about the exchange rate. He's not concerned about uh, the junk status that our country's in. He, he's not concerned about uh, the, the dramatic effects that are happening in the world economies right now because he presides over it all. And so he says, you come to me with grateful hearts, and that reflects the fact that you know I'm supremely in command. And then the second is not only a grateful heart, 
but the, the obedience, the acts of obedience that we live out with our wages, with our earnings. Now, I've tossed and turned this week as to whether I push this conclusion into your living rooms. And I've, I really have because I've understood the extent of the economic uh, impact that this virus has had on the entire world. But I've got to conclude, by the time I've read all the articles and I've looked at the situation, that God is supreme above all and His ways are higher than all our ways. And, and regarding your obedience with your earnings, this is what God requires of His workforce. That His workforce return one-tenth of their earning to Him. And and you might be saying, God, that freaks me out. I'm, I'm barely surviving on 100%. And in fact, my 100% has been chopped now to 50%. And, and you saying of that, 10% to him. It's essentially what it's saying is that 90% of your remaining uh, income in God's hands is better than the full 100% in your hands. Because there's two ways to deal with the money that God gives you at the end of each month. First, you can say, God, thank you for giving it. I've got a grateful heart, but actually you just sit up there in heaven. I'm gonna spend it the way I want to spend it. Or you can say, God, help me. Help me with everything. I, I trust, I mean, I don't understand this, but I, but I trust as I return this to you, I'm doing it as an act of faith, as an act of reliance on you, as an act of uh, lordship, de declaring your lordship over my life. And I'm putting the rest of my finances into your hands and I'm saying, Help me. Uh, I'm into my 50s now. And I can remember my dad teaching me this principle when I was 14 years old. And so I am not a perfect fellow and I have had careers in business. I've been an entrepreneur and, and I'm you know, more recently in the ministry. And I found this to be true. God is faithful to his word. Sometimes he looks after you by giving you more money. Other times he looks at you, after you by taking away costs. Just a couple of months ago, my, my children were driving home from church in my truck. I've got a beaten up old Isuzu truck. And they were coming up the N3 and some guy without his lights on crashed into the side of my daughter. She spun the car around. She, it, was, it was like a lot of damage. In fact, it was written off. And I, I was wondering how on earth I was going to replace that thing but there is someone who's part of the body of Christ who got to hear about what happened to my car and he saw me at a car wash a couple of months ago and he said, you take your car to my workshop and he delivered it to me yesterday. God, God can look after your finances by increasing your salary or by providing for costs that weren't there. He's faithful, whatever it is, whatever your testimony is. Uh, this is what God says. He says, come to me with a, with a grateful heart because you, you're working for the Lord. And once you've earned what he's given you, he's expecting you not to say, thanks, God, I'm, I'm on my way. But he, he's expecting you to say, I want to bless you and walk with you and multiply what's in your hands. Do it in conjunction with me. And the starting point is to say, God, I trust you in this way. Just a parting comment before I move on to the, the next verse is that the Bible makes it very clear that no one should know what the right hand 
is giving and what the left hand is giving. So as a local church, we don't check up on what people are doing and what they're giving. And, and you shouldn't be living under a condemnation here. It's, it's God saying, come to me. This is my way to walk with you, my way to live with you. And you're not working for your boss. You're working for the boss above your boss. And then he says this, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You're working for him knowing that a reward is coming. And that reward, that's another whole theological concept. That reward is both on earth and in eternity. And, you know, we don't go into the detail right now, but, but God says, this is what I want to give you. I want to give you a reward. It's not an earning for your work. It's a reward. It's an inheritance. It's a, it's a blessing. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Verse 25 says, And anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And so some of us peg ourselves on a social structure, and we, we, we think that God's got favorites and bosses have got favorites. He says, listen, in the kingdom there are no favorites. God loves eternally. But this is what this verse is saying, that if anyone treats you badly, he says, God will repay them. If your boss is behaving badly, listen, he will reap what he's sowing. God says, listen, I, I will defend you. You don't need to go defend yourself. I will defend you. And so just before we close, Paul turns his attention to the masters, the bosses, the owners, the leaders in society. And this is what he says. Masters, provide for your bond servants with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. He's basically saying to the masters, listen, God has entrusted people to your care. Now, you have a boss in heaven, my man, my lady. And so look after those who've been entrusted to you and do so fairly and do so justly. And, and so what does fairness and justice mean in terms of the kingdom? Well, it's to be generous, a, a Christian boss shouldn't just be paying minimum wage, shouldn't just be skidding people by and just keeping them out of the gutter. No, what is fair and what is just. Remember, he's in heaven and what you sow, what you invest, you will reap. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes into the Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And that reaping is now and in eternity. And, and so owners, bosses, there's only one real instruction that Paul is giving, no matter what the economic hardship. Remember, God's in heaven, and, and world economies might be jostling. Donald's beautiful economy might be crashing. England might be in their biggest slump in 300 years, but God is the boss of all bosses, and you can trust him as you step out in faith and generously look after those that are working with you and for you. I said that in conclusion, we were gonna pray for those who are really worried right now about their finances, about their welfare, about their jobs. And, and, and I'm certain there's a whole lot of you right now who are asking God for a new deployment, a new job, I was just speaking this week to a number of people who've closed down their businesses saying, we're waiting on God for our next step. And so before we go any further in this service, I 
If you, if you are in that position where you're saying, God, I'm worried about my job, or I don't have a job, or I really want to start a business, maybe just as an act of faith, stand where you are in front of your TV screens. What if everybody else could close their eyes and uh, we're going to trust God right now. The boss of every boss, the king of every king, the president over every president, to lead, to guide, and to provide. Lord Jesus, every person that's standing right now to attention before you, I pray that you would come upon. I pray that you would fill with your thoughts and your dreams and your possibilities. I pray for divine appointments, Lord. I pray that you would link people together. I pray that in the days and the months that lie ahead, there will be testimony after testimony after testimony of God's intervention, of new deployments in the wake of a world that is falling apart. Lord, that you would take your sons and your daughters and you would put them into positions, give them creative ideas to employ and to be employers themselves. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who've been wrestling over the, the stewardship of what you've given them. I pray for your conviction, no man's conviction, but your conviction on what to do with their lives, their future, and their resources. In the name of Jesus, amen. In conclusion, I would like to contrast two thoughts. Chapter 3, verse 24, it says that God gives inheritance. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters pay wages. So, inheritance versus wages. What's the difference? Well, inheritance is something you receive, wage is something you earn. And inheritance goes to an heir, goes to a son, goes to a daughter. But a wage goes to a worker. Now, Paul, when he was writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, says this, For the wages of sin is death. There are some things that you can work for, not only your salary. You can work hard at your life of sin, and the wage you get for that is death. But the gift of God, the inheritance of God, the blessing of God is eternal life. You see, God's plan for you is that you receive an inheritance. You receive His gift of eternal life. You can't work for it. You, you can't say, I'm going to go to church a lot, I'm going to read my Bible a lot, I'm going to behave nicely, and God will save me. It doesn't work that way because it's an inheritance. It's a gift. It isn't a wage. Now, many of us have worked a hang of a lot, really hard to try and please God. And God looks from heaven and the longing of his heart is for us to understand that he wants us to receive it like a son, like a daughter. And so in a couple of minutes, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're ready to put down your tools, ready to put down your hard work and say, God, okay, I see this. This is not something I deserve or I earn. It's a gift from heaven. And I'm going to ask you for it. If you're ready to make that decision today, follow me in this prayer. I'm going to pray that... It's not my prayer that's going to do anything. It's, it's your response to God. It's your receiving of a gift from heaven that's going to do it. But this prayer 
will enable you to do so. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that my whole life I've strived and I've strained and I've tried to earn your approval. I understand today that I need to receive your gift of eternal life, that I can't earn it. And so I ask you for that gift now. I ask you for the gift of forgiveness, that you would forgive my sins. I ask you for the gift of life. I ask you for the gift of eternal life and your Holy Spirit inside of me. And I ask that you would adopt me as one of your children today and that you would transform me, you would include me, and that I would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by way of closing the service today, rather than just turning off the TV right now, we're going to end with one final song. So I'm going to ask Andile and Preston to come and join us. And they're going to sing this grand old song, Majesty. You might be sitting there today thinking, I need to come back to Christ. I need to come back. I've got to give my life to Him all over again. I've wandered far from Him. While we're singing this song, you know what to pray. Pray in your heart. Surrender your life to Him. Maybe you were sitting in your chair there and you didn't respond originally. And you know you need to respond now. As we sing this song, bow your heads toward heaven and ask Him for eternal life. Ask Him for the gift of salvation. Let's sing together. Here I am Covered by your majesty Covered by your grace so free Here I am Knowing I'm a sinful man Covered by the blood of the Lamb So now I found been surrendering to Christ right now, if you've been praying those prayers, if you've been coming back to Him, I'm going to pray for you right now. We're going to continue to sing that song. I'm going to pray that the decisions you're making right now 
would be everlasting, would be eternal, and God would bring them to completion. Lord Jesus, for every person that's praying these prayers, who's coming back to you now, who's surrendering their lives to you, Lord God, I pray that you would reach from heaven into their hearts and make them new. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So good being with you today. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday night. That's in a couple of days' time, six o'clock. We have our prayer meeting, and so you can hop back onto our YouTube channel. Hundreds of people get together to pray. Uh, we can pray for prayer requests. If you really trusting God for work for those redeployments, come join us Tuesday night. It'll be good to see you again.